Welcome back to People Analytics. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton. Today I have with me Randy J. Cazares, who is the Human Resource Director at Panhandle Community Services. Welcome, Randy. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you here, but before we get into it, uh, let's have you tell us who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Absolutely. So um, like you said, my name is Randy Cazares. I'm the HR Director at Panhandle Community Services in Amarillo, Texas. Um, so I am the HR director. I'm in my currently going into my 12th year in HR. So I've been in HR for um, a while. I actually got my degree in the in the human resource field back in 2012. And I um, dove into HR because of um, some very different reasons. And so, you know, part of part of what I what who I am is, you know, that's been my by my identity for a long time is uh, my HR side of me. Um, so the reason I got into HR um, is because actually I had a professor in college that um, she came in from uh, up north and they started the HR program. And um, she really kind of had this passion about HR that I hadn't seen before. And um, it really radiated with me. It just stuck with me. And so um, it really drove me to want to say, this is what I want to do. And so since then, I've spent every bit of the last 11 years for sure um, perfecting my, uh, my craft and doing things, you know, obtaining my certifications, working towards new certifications. And so I am, I have really, uh, I I look back and I thank, thank that professor for that because, you know, if it hadn't been for her, I don't know where my career would have ended up. Yeah. It's interesting how many people I speak with who have really have just one person come into their lives and change the course of their life. And that was the professor for you. So tell me a little bit about that relationship. So, you know, she came in when I was in when I was in college, I am I'll go back a little bit. When I was in college, I was actually in management at the time. And so um, this professor came in and I don't know if she knows to this day the impact she had on my life. I mean, her and I have spoken a few times over the years about different things. And um, I don't know that she really knows the true impact. Um, And so when she came in, uh, one of the first courses I had to take was human resources and um, business ethics. And she taught both of those. And so those were tied into my management degree. And so when she came in, uh, her and I just really clicked with um, the things that she was putting out there because, you know, I really wasn't sure at 19, 20, 21 years old what I was going to do with my career. And, you know, she really put it out there in a way that made me understand and made me realize that there's so much to gain from this profession. And so over the next year or, or the next two years, her and I had several meetings. She became a mentor to me to where, you know, after class, I would go to her office and we would talk about different things, different projects that I was working on for school to kind of get some guidance from her and say, okay, are we looking at this from the, the right perspective? And, um, you know, I think that that's really what started it. She's actually the person that she first invited me to our local um, uh, SHRM chapter here in Amarillo. And um, I went and just sitting through with other HR professionals at 19 years old when I'm still getting my degree was just, um, it was an amazing feeling to me because, you know, I got to see why people do what they do. And I got to see why she cared so much about this profession. 
So I know something that we bonded over was music because I know that you were at first going to go into music. So can you describe that? You know, we know how that professor really helped uh, you transition to HR, but tell me about your relationship with music before that. Yeah. So um, it's interesting, you know, I got into HR and, you know, that wasn't my plan all along. Uh, My plans when I got out of high school, when I was in high school, I was in marching band. Um, I played the baritone, you know, not the most uh, uh, sexy instrument, if you will, but it was um, it was what I played and I played it since middle school. And, um, you know, I I decided when I graduated college, I actually um, I actually got a a small scholarship to go to um, South Plains College in Leveland to uh, play music up there. Well, um, unfortunately, um, things fell through at last minute where, you know, life kind of took me in a different a different path. And so I didn't didn't end up enrolling at South Plains. Um, I ended up enrolling at uh, West Texas A&M. And um, there were some issues there. Um, last minute, things came up where they were missing some signatures. So I ended up having to change course again and enroll at Emerald College and enroll in their music program. And so my, my thought was, you know, I'm going to go be a music major. This is what I want to do with my life. I was 18 years old at the time. And I was like, you know, I want to go do music. And so I got into music at Amarillo College and I took things like rudiments of music, piano. I learned to do different things. Well, about midway through uh, my first semester at Amarillo College, my my wife and I actually got into a car accident um, severely that put her in the hospital for about three months. Um, And then for me, it kind of changed the course because everything I had music wise was in my vehicle and was ruined. And so... I had to kind of rethink about my career at that point because I knew at that point I was not able to continue my music. I was not able to continue the things that I wanted to do because um, I didn't have the means to do so anymore. And so um, after this accident, I really started thinking, you know, I finished out my um, my first semester in music. And then I really got to thinking, like, is this really what I want to do after my wife and I had conversations about it? And it was like, well, you know, what what is my career plan with music? And I said, I really don't know. So after that accident, I really changed my major again. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to do music, even though it was something that I I loved for so long. I, but I didn't really I just I had to finally recognize that I had to give it up. And, um, you know, I have a an interesting, a funny story. You know, when I was um, in high school, I was in band and, you know, I wouldn't consider myself an outstanding musician. Um, you know, I was I, I was good enough to, you know, I made it to state solo and ensemble a couple of times, but I I think about this moment and it's funny because, you know, music was so, I was so passionate about my music, my senior year in high school. And then after this accident happened, I actually went back um, to my high school um, a few years later and um, um, the band was there and, you know, they, they asked if we wanted to play with them while we were there. And so I did, I said, sure, you know, I hadn't played in a little bit, but surely I haven't forgotten this. And when I got done, um, one of the individuals, and I, I think about this, and I think it's funny now, uh, one of the individuals looks at me and he goes, you haven't played in a while, have you? <laughs> I, oh, oh. You know, it's like, no, I haven't actually, I haven't played in a couple of years. And his remark to me was, well, I can tell. And so. Some people just want to humble you, I guess. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I talk about humbling. That was a very humbling moment. Because, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I really, I really was like, I thought I, I thought I was doing okay. <laughs> you know, I, I fell in love with music a long time ago. And then, you know, I still love my music, but, um, you know, it, it just 
didn't pan out. You know, God had other plans for my life, apparently. And, you know, music was not a part of that. Yeah. So let's talk about um, a little bit uh, more positive, humbling moments. And those are the moments where in HR, you realize that you're helping someone more than you really think you are. And I know those are the moments that you are, you know, they build up and really, really make you love your job. So can you talk about what it's like to have those kind of humbling moments? You know, those are the moments that I look back on my career and I look back at when I met my that professor, you know, I look back and I say, you know, um, this is what I got into it for. And um, those moments, you know, I try to tell my assistant now that those moments will always way outweigh, outweigh the tough moments. And, you know, I think about some of those moments in particular, and I think about, you know, I used to work for an organization and part of, part of my main responsibilities at the time was new hire orientation. And one of the things that I used to talk to people about uh, passionately was things like workplace violence, sexual harassment, discrimination, and the importance of reporting those things not ever knowing that it was making a difference because when you watch people's faces in the crowd, they, they, they kind of like get real clammed up when you start talking about stuff like that, because it's a little uncomfortable. And, you know, I try to have a, a, a lighthearted sense of humor about everything else, but those particular topics, I, uh, I, I didn't never really did. And so I, I think about one afternoon I was, I was talking about workplace violence and sexual harassment. And I used to tell people, you know, when we talk about workplace violence, the best thing I can tell you is, please do not hit your coworkers. And I, I would say that, and, you know, people look at me like, and I say, and here's why, and here's what workplace violence means, here's this. And then we would talk about, you know, things like sexual harassment. I talk about how sexual harassment, the misconception around it is um, that it only happens to certain individuals. Well, this individual in particular, he owned a business on the side that he worked for. And a few months after his orientation, um, he pulled me aside at, at, a, at another location. He pulled me aside and he said, you know, he said, I just want to tell you thank you um, because I really learned a lot out of orientation. He said, and what really stuck with me was he said, your talk on workplace violence and sexual harassment. He said, because as a business owner, I never thought about those things. I never thought that, never thought to think about the things that I was doing could impact somebody else. He said, so immediately after we had that meeting, he said, I went back to my business and pulled all of my staff aside, pulled all of my staff aside and said, look, here's the situation. Here's this. You can't do these things. You can't do these things. And if these things happen, you need to report those things to me immediately. And he said, and that made such a big difference for me and my business because he said, I was heading down the wrong path in that business. He said, I didn't know that I couldn't do these things. And it's just something so simple. as It's those little moments like that that I think about that are uh, just so impactful, you know, and I think about more recently, you know, we had an employee that um, she was ready to quit. And the reason she wanted to quit was she was overwhelmed with things going on in her personal life. And, you know, I had a feeling that she didn't actually want to quit. I had a feeling something else was going on. And so when things kind of settled, the dust kind of settled from um, the loss of a family member that she had, you know, when that all settled, I pulled her in and I said, I need you to decide if you want to work for this organization or not. And she looked at me and she said, you know what? I do want to be here. And she said, I just didn't know that it was okay to be out for these things. And, you know, and I said, that's, that's where we have to fix that communication. And I said, you know, I'd hate to lose a good employee over someone making a rash decision because you're dealing with emotions of things, tragedy in your personal life. And so um, she took the next 24 hours and she really thought about it. 
and she came back to work. And since she came back, I mean, what I've seen is she's been thriving since she's been back. And she's been kind of a weight lifted off of her shoulder to come back. And I think that that was an important moment because, you know, very easily we could have said, um, we could have said, okay, yeah, we'll accept your resignation. But I, I just had this feeling that there was more to the story than um, that she was telling us. And so those are the moments that I look back on my career and I say, you know what, um, th that's the reason I got into these, this, this organization. I didn't, I got not into this organization, but into this business, you know, I got into this because I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. And, you know, you think about when I first, when I first got into HR, it was, you know, oh, what did you get into HR for? To help people. Yes, we're going to help people. But I also got into under to, I got into HR. Now when I look back on it to make an impact on life in in whatever way we can and that's you know talking through different situations like this and so those little moments they may seem so insignificant to other people but to me those are the moments that really have helped define parts of my career yeah and one thing that is interesting about that story is as as a people leader you do kind of have to have spidey senses in terms of kind of recognizing when something's off about an employee. So you said that you noticed that there's something deeper going on. What kind of tipped you off to that? Well, you know, in this particular case, um, this individual had been coming to work. She'd been here and, you know, there'd been no known issues. Well, then um, something changed. And then um, Friday afternoon, she just left and said she didn't tell anyone where she went. And then you know, kind of like, okay, that's not like her. So this, this, something is off here because historically in the past, this, you know, she's been up, she's been telling us, okay, these things are happening. But then when someone just leaves, it's like, okay, something's not right here. And, you know, and I get this, this sense that, okay, that we got to figure out what's going on here. And so she was actively communicating with us over those couple of days, but there, I felt like there was some, I don't want to say she wasn't being honest, but I felt like she was missing leaving out key parts of her story and saying, you know what, um, this is what happened. And then when I sat down with her in person, you know, I could see that there was more to it because just by me asking her, you know, do you want to be a part of this organization? You know, she broke down in tears and was like, you know, I, I really do, but I didn't know, I didn't want something outside of here to affect my work here. Yeah. And that's such a challenge that employees have because there you don't know when you're in a safe environment because there are people leaders like you who create safe spaces and then there are people leaders who people have had a bad experience with and i i'm definitely one one of those individuals and so it can be at least from my perspective as someone who has um, chronic migraine attacks I, that bit of information could either help me or hurt me. And I'm sure, you know, with that personal information, she was thinking very similarly, like this could, letting this out could hurt me. Um, yeah, it's a very tricky situation for, for you to navigate. And, you know, I, I applaud you for how you handled that. Absolutely. And like you said, it's, it's those moments where, you know, we as HR, we, we, I, I, I we're people watchers, you know, we observe behaviors, we observe patterns. You know, and it's we, we do this for this reason. You know, we want to make sure that when something seems off, we can start addressing those conversations. We can start saying, OK, something's not right in this conversation. And, you know, I, I think about 
um, several years ago, I was doing an investigation and, uh, you know, uh, we got some, we got word that there were claims of racial discrimination happening and, you know, and when I started asking questions, what was really hard was the people I was talking to, um, these were teenagers at the time because they were working for us in the summer and they were the ones accused of this racial discrimination. And so they didn't realize what was happening. They didn't realize the effect of their words. But, you know, I had a feeling something was not right because we're talking to them and you could tell, like, I talked to one and then about an hour later, the next one showed up and their story was almost identical to what was just told to me an hour ago. But these two people have been friends for a long time. And then I talked to an outside person, not an outside person, but someone that is a little further removed from that group of people. And um, the story changed and it got deeper and it was like, OK, th- this is what's happened. And let me tell you a little bit as to the background, like this person is involved with this person and they say those things all the time, not knowing that we have employees that are impacted by this. And then when I brought the first employee back, you know, when I started asking questions again and we asked and I asked about things like specific quotes that were said, the look on his face changed like. Okay, yes, I know you know something is up, so let me with you. And so I think about those moments because, you know, people, they, they don't always think we know, but, you know, those are the moments where I, I, you know, it impacts me because I'm like, I know that, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to protect yourself. Also now, you know, I understand there's, there's issues here and that we have to address those. And I need you to be very honest with me. Yeah, yeah. Those are very ch- challenging situations to navigate. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I know another challenging situation for, you know, many, many people, professionals, is having to earn and keep your seat at the table at the same time. So you can you talk from your perspective, uh, what that's like? Yeah. You know, I think um, HR is an interesting world because, you um, we're one one profession that is constantly forced to earn our seat at the table, but then it's not a, not just a matter of earning that seat. We have to maintain that. And what I mean by that is, is you know, once we get invited to the table, we're not always welcomed at the table. We have to keep proving our worth. And you know, from kind of my own personal experience, some of the things that I've witnessed with that are, you know, people will take your opinion in the in the immediate and they'll say you know what we value what you're saying because maybe they're coming from a place of you know they historically didn't have an hr didn't have hr representation that was serving that serving what they were doing and so initially they'll say okay we need to make some change in the organization and we want you to lead that change and so when you start making that change people start to see that things are not as they used to be and then that's where you start getting the pushback and people start to say um you know, well, we don't like this change because we've always done it this way. And so they start rejecting you and they start rejecting your opinions. And when they do that, you then, I, you know, you then as an HR professional have to go back and say, what can I, how can I show that this change is working? So we have to show that the change that we're making is impactful. We have to show that it's making a difference and that we're moving on from previous, previous behaviors. You know, I, I've had conversations in my career where, I've had to sit back and say, you know, I recognize that your previous HR person um, may have done things this way. And I tell everyone, I've said this for years, I don't know your previous person, 
And I'm not here to speak ill of that person. And I never will speak ill of that person because that's not my place. But what I will do is I will say, I am me. And this is the way I do things. And this is the way we're going to do things going forward. So it doesn't matter what we've done in the past. We're going to change things. And I think a lot of times that gets met with some resistance because people get comfortable. They get comfortable in saying, well, we've always done it this way. And this has always been effective for us. And so I think that one of the challenges that, you know, I personally, and that we as HR can all kind of relate on is that, you know, we get to the table, but then when we get to the table, we get questioned at the table. Like, why is this change important? How is this impacting the organization? How, what, what's the return on investment here? What are we getting out of this? Like, for example, training. Training is a big part of change. And when you implement a training, such as uh, sexual harassment training, you know, you think about many organizations will do sexual harassment training. They'll do it because they have to, and they have to go and they have to sit back and say, well, we'll do this, but they miss the mark because they don't actually talk about like people will just kind of click through it and they don't really understand the meaning behind it. But when you come in and you introduce something and you say, this is why we're doing this, it makes people to start remembering that, but it's a challenge because, you know, you get to the table and, and people say, oh, we're doing sexual harassment training. And, I'm one that, you know, I like to be transparent, but I like to be a little secretive at the same time. So when we're doing a major training initiative or major change initiative, I kind of keep some details to myself. Like I'll say, oh, we'll do it. We're going to have agency-wide training. I'm not going to really tell people what it is because there's preconceived notions that come with that. And then what I don't want is I don't want people to be like, oh, well, you know, it's this. Let me give you an example. You know, um, a few years ago, we implemented customer service training. And uh, when we did that, you know, all I told people was, hey, we're going to be doing customer service training. We're going to start this. Um, and this was, you know, right at the height of COVID. And we're still trying to talk about customer service. Well, the conversations that took place after I announced the customer service training was happening was there were multiple people that came together and they just kind of were like, oh, what did we do now? So they're, they're, that's what they said to each other in the hallway. And it's like, you know, their thought was, oh, they did something wrong, so they have to have customer service training. But the reality was that was a new initiative based on things we were working on that we wanted to roll out. And so I think that for, for me, one of the biggest challenges is, number one, I, I've, I've made it to the table on many occasions in my career, but I've also been pushed away from the table many times in my career. And I, and I say that because it's like, you know, people always start to question like, um, what you're doing, the significance of it. They start to question, well, um, what's the real reason behind this? Why did you do this? Why did you change this if it wasn't working? And, you know, and my, my, my response to that is usually, you know, well, we identified a need, we identified an area for improvement and we fixed it. And, you know, it's my job to make sure that you get on board with that. You know, and I think about it from the perspective of when I say we as HR constantly uh, not, we're not always invited to the table. You think about Thanksgiving dinner. You think about, if you imagine, if you will, think the Thanksgiving dinner table, the head of table is the CEO. And then you've got your other executives. You've got your finance, your CEO right there. And then you've got others. And then you've got HR. HR is kind of like that, that family member that you're like, oh, I know I need to invite you to Thanksgiving. I really don't want to because I know you're going to talk about something I don't want to hear. And so you're real reluctant. And then but you do it. You say, you know, I'm going to bring you in and then things go well for a little bit. And then 
maybe it's like you think about like the family member that starts talking about things like politics at Thanksgiving. You're like, okay, I really don't want to be part of this conversation anymore, so I'm going to push you away from it. And I think about that because you don't experience that in the accounting world. In accounting, the CEO pretty much is always guaranteed a spot at the executive table, or the CFO, I'm sorry, is always guaranteed a spot at the executive table because, you know, behind every company, there's money that goes with it. You know, you have to make sure that there's money to perform the services that you're doing. But you think about HR and we as HR get questioned because it's like, well, why is this important? Why is this important? You know, and so I think that for us as HR, it's important for number one, we got to get to the table, but then we got to show our worth and we got to be proud of what we do. You know, and we got to be able to um, understand it from a, you know, 40,000 foot perspective. You know, we have to be able to look at it from the whole business, you know, when you talk about having business acumen and understanding the business, it's it's an important piece of it because fi- finance people, they have to know financials, you know, other they have to know other pieces. HR, you kind of have to know everything. And it's like, you know, everything gets questioned. And so you think about it, you, you know, we have to prove that we know what we're talking about. And is it right? Is it fair? Maybe, maybe not. But the reality is, is, you know, it's a struggle, number one, for us to get to the table because we have to show that we know that everything we do has value. And then we have to maintain that seat because, you know, sometimes, you know, HR seen as the principal of the police and, you know, you know, it makes it uncomfortable for people because they're like, well, you know what you're talking about, but we don't want to hear it. Kind of like when you talk about things like DE&I or um, harassment, when you talk about those things. People are like, well, we, we know what you're saying and we respect what you're saying, but we don't want to really hear it. So we're going to just kind of reject that notion at this point in time. Yeah. So one question that's been running through my head um, is, you know, having the confidence to stand up and assert yourself, um, you know, how is that something that you had to work on? Is that something that you just kind of were thrown in and like, if I need to, you know, rise to the occasion in this role, I got to be more assertive. So how, how did you build that, you know, confidence in yourself, your work, your experience to be able to, you know, assert yourself in those uh, situations? It, it, it wasn't easy, you know, it, it took some work, you know, I've been privileged in my career to kind of work with some very good individuals that have really kind of worked their way to the top and earned that seat at the table. And so I've gotten to watch from afar and see how people really, really do that. And for me, when I had to jump into um, my role, you know, the way I think that I had to learn to assert myself was I had to kind of sit back and watch for a minute and watch what was happening. And if there was something that I didn't agree with, and not just this role, and in many roles that I've been been at this level, you know, when I say I, I had to kind of really observe and say, what is happening here? And then I just had to basically say, what was the tipping off point? And that tipping off point was, okay, we cannot do this. And I understand you may be a 20, 30 year employee that's been doing this for a long time. Well, we're not going to continue to do things that way. And it's, it's hard because when you, when you do that the first time, when you have to assert yourself, it, um, um, you know, they say it's lonely at the top and HR is a lonely profession. And, and the reason for that is because the moment you assert yourself, um, it changes the relationship. It's either going to change it for the better change it for the worst. Most of the time to change it for the better because they realize, hey, you're serious 
and that you're going to uh, not you're not going to accept mediocrity. You're going to um, change the organization and move us forward and drive towards the, the mission vision. Um, but the other side of that, there's the people that will reject that notion and they'll say, well, I'm not coming to you for anything because you put your foot down with me and I'm not going to be told no. And, you know, I've encountered people like that in my career, too, where you assert yourself and that I've had to do that. And they just say, well, they just they refuse to come to me at that point in time. What they do is they find ways around. And so for me, I had to learn. I I got to learn it from other people watching what worked for people, what didn't work for people, the good, the bad, everything in between. And then I really just had to kind of. I really had to just jump into it. I basically had to say, you know what? I'm going to jump into this. No regrets. Whatever decision we make, I'm going to own that decision. Um, If I'm wrong, I'll admit that I was wrong. And if I'm right, you know what? We're going to embrace it. We're going to move on. I'm not going to celebrate being right. But what I will do is I'll I'll, um, take ownership of being wrong and say, you know what? I was wrong in this. How can we fix it for next time? So I think for me, um, being in HR for as long as I've been in HR, I think that's really what gave me the confidence to kind of learn to start interjecting the way that I had to. I love that. And I want to repeat it. Don't celebrate when you're right, but take accountability when you're wrong. I love that. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm not one that I don't go out seeking praise for the things that I do. I know that when I make a decision and it's right, we don't talk about it again. And the reason being is because we did what we needed to do. We addressed it. But I also know that, it kind of goes back to the previous question about earning and keeping your seat at the table. You know, when we're wrong, everybody sees that we're wrong. And that's where they kind of push you away a little bit like, well, you were wrong in this. So you're going to be wrong about this in the future. And I think that that's one of those notions where, where we have to say, you know what, we admit we were wrong, but you know what, let's, let's, that doesn't mean that we were completely wrong. We're still going to try something different to fix this. And so, that's one of those ways where we have to constantly earn our seat is anytime we make a mistake, it's scrutinized from so many different perspectives. Well, Randy, this has been a great conversation and you have shared so many personal anecdotes that I'm sure a lot of people in our audience can relate to. But before we wrap up, do you have anything that uh, you think I missed or would like to add? You know, I, I think that, um, I think I, I read recently, I read a quote and I think it is really important to kind of talk about, there's two of them that I really think tie this all together, you know, and um, so I was reading through some articles recently. And one of the quotes that really stood out to me was um, you have to be more interested in truly understanding than protecting your image. So what that means is that we as HR people have to be uh, more interested in the business as a whole than being right. I mean, and, you know, you think about the, the, the question, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? And you think about, that from a big perspective, you know, from an HR standpoint, you know, it's hard. I mean, yes, we need, we want to be right, but we don't want to like say, oh, we only want to be right. So we're doing this just to be right. We have to think about what we do, how that's impacting the business. And I think that um, this kind of, this kind of ties it together saying, you know what, if you understand the business and more than yourself, uh, than yourself, then you're going to do do just fine and you're going to earn that seat at the table and you're going to be respected when you get to that point. And then the other one was um, it's it it was from another article I read um, and it said um, only if you want to be a strategic learning asset, be taken seriously, hold your own and bring in expertise uh, uh, and know how to life. That was in direct response to the question was, 
um, is it really important to understand the business? And so I think that that answer really says a lot because um, we as HR have to be strategic in what we do. And we have to make sure that we are very, we are very smart about what we do. We are protecting the organization. We're protecting the employees, but we're doing it with respect and letting people know that you may not always agree with me, but we're here to protect you. And that those of us that have been in this field a long time, we, we have the knowledge and, you know, we're not just throwing things out there because, oh, well, Randy wants to do this. No, <laughs> we're doing this based off of years of experience or things that have happened, things that worked and didn't work. We're learning from our failures. And so I think that the last thing I would really say with all of that is, is yes, HR, we can, we belong at the table. We can earn our seat at the table, but it's more important that we prove why we belong at the table because you know what? Um, it makes us that much better because we are one of the only professions that has to prove our worth on a day in and day out. So it makes us that more strategic in our thinking about everything. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time here. Thank you for sharing those last two quotes to end on. And if you or anyone else is like Randy and really loves those little moments in people management, email me, lindsay at staffgeek.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Staff Geek's People Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Patton, and I'm always looking to interview leaders who put people first. If you or someone you know lead with a people-first mindset, please email me at lindsay at staffgeek.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at staffgeek.com. If you want to take things a step deeper and understand your organization's true culture DNA, I encourage you to take Staff Geek's free culture assessment. Just head to staffgeek.com and click the button that says free culture assessment. Thanks again for listening.